Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I've got Shona. Hi. How Not are you? your favourite, but like unofficially your favourite coach. Yeah. I mean, I don't have favourites, obviously, but also, yeah. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. I'm really good. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. How are you? Sorry, I should probably ask how you are. How are you? I am also really good. Tell me mm-hmm. why you're so good. Um... I am so good. Uh, Paul's, <laughs> this is not why I'm good. Paul's away um, for the weekend. So I'm being like a solo parent. And like the thought of it at first kind of overwhelmed me. And I was like, no, 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 you've got this, Shona. And um, he had a nice long lie this morning. He didn't wake up until half seven, <laughs> as opposed to half five. So yeah, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling ready to take this challenge on. Like I bet there's so many people listening who are solo parents regularly and like, or full-time solo parents, but I'm never a solo parent. Like I'm like Paul's been a solo parent more than I have, which is maybe a bit embarrassing to admit, but here we are. I don't think that's embarrassing. I think, I don't know, maybe it's more to do with the routine sometimes I think having one person because then there's an even more structured routine like we know what we're doing like this weekend is there an element of calm as well because you're like it's just me and the baby and I know exactly what we're gonna do Mm -hmm. as opposed to when there's like a third person in there it adds adds something to the dynamic yeah potentially yeah um but it's just always like there's a second person just to even if you want to go to the toilet by yourself Um, like I went to the toilet this morning obviously I had to take Cormac with me and then finished the toilet stood up and he like tried to climb inside the toilet (laughs) oh yeah disgusting but yeah everything's fine he's still alive good good okay um I have a question here for you you ready let's go this is from a commit six check-in. It says, how to tackle being quote unquote good in the day versus messing up in the evening? Hmm. So I think that's probably quite common, isn't it? Like we get to the end of the day and like you're sat on the sofa and you're watching TV and you're like, oh, I've had my last meal. Maybe you're starting to feel a little bit hungry. You want to have a little snack. Um, and then you have a snack and then it's hard to draw that line um, at the snacks and then you can really undo undo your calorie deficit by the end of by the end of the day that way I think it's really common isn't it it's probably I think for a lot of people boredom or like not having something to do with your hands you're you're sat in front of the telly and I think it's really interesting that 
um, you put that post up about people who are successful dieters and the amount of it's related to the amount of television that they watch. I wonder if it's because of that, like the inactivity, the being sat down and needing something to occupy your hands. Yeah, I think it was something like 78% of successful dieters watch less than 10 hours of TV a day. So it's not like you can't watch- A week. Sorry, a week, a week, yeah. Wow, (laughs) and a day to be fair, (laughs) thankfully. Um, So it's not like you can't watch any TV, but I think, yeah, if it's become your routine that every night, so much of this to do with your environment. Like if you set yourself up for that, that every night you sit down, you have a bit of a snack and as Shona's saying like, you normally don't portion control those snacks. So it's like, I'll just bring the whole tub of Pringles to the couch to watch TV. And then before you know it, they're all gone. Even little things like putting it on a plate, having a portion controlled size and then taking it back. Because even if you go back for more, it's a bit more mindful because you're not accidentally putting your hand in the Pringles tin and eating them. Like you're actually having to take yourself up from the couch, go to the kitchen and manually go and get more. So adding in little things to your environment, I mean, it might even just be not having those at arm's length. Um, I also think just reading into this question a little bit, if you're saying that you've been quote unquote good during the day, often what people mean by that is very low calories during the day or very restrictive during the day. And then inevitably over restriction leads to overindulgence because it swings back the other way. And that can be where the problem is. So sometimes it's actually not eating enough during the day that's causing you to overeat in the evening. But I do agree. Like, I think there is probably if we could somehow, I don't know, do the stats on this. There's probably a link between the amount of kind of spare time that people have and how much they eat. Because I know, like, for example, this morning, I've had calls with like little chunks of time in between and every little chunk of time in between, like I'll go and eat something because I'm at home. And normally in the morning, I don't have that many calls. And so I don't work at home. It's so much harder when you work at home. And and if you are someone who works at home, you have to kind of curate an environment in which it's not that easy to just go to the kitchen all the time or you break that habit of doing that because I don't work at home that much or like I try and work out of the house. I don't tend to have that problem normally, but I did notice today that I had like, I had a call at nine and then I had half an hour until my next call. And I was kind of like, half an hour is not really enough to do anything. So maybe I'll just have like way more breakfast than I need to have because I'd actually already had some. And yeah, those kind of things can start to happen. But if this was something I was going to do frequently or even tonight, like if I did, if I was journaling tonight, I'd reflect on that. Like, okay, you ate too much today. Why did that happen? Okay, what was the situation? You were at home, you were working on your laptop and you had these chunks of time. What will you do definitely with those chunks of time? Can you plan ahead so that you know you've got 30 minutes between these calls? Great, you're going to make a reel or you're going to do something else or you're going to reply to the end. You, there's like, a, a, I guess like a function of that time or there's something to do with that time and then you're less likely to boredom meet. It is interesting that probably one of the most common reasons that people say they can't get in shape is because they're too busy and actually it's so much easier when you're busy so much easier like you as a busy mom Shona like when do you have time to sit down and overeat sometimes manage it (laughs) you're you're so right I I totally get um I get it because see if you are a mum and if you have been running around all day um for yourself or for your children 
and then you've been like busy making dinner and then finally you get your child down maybe like seven half seven and then you're like oh that I, I just want to use this time to switch off and do nothing and sit in my arse and at first that's what I was doing and then it started to get a bit depressed and it kind of like coincided with the time when you said that you didn't watch any television because I was like I realized how much I'm wasting this spare time so then I started it wasn't even like I was like going to use that time to be productive I'm not, I wasn't like right I'm going to start working in that time or I'm going to clean the house or do anything like meal prep I was like no I don't want to do that I want to do something that still feels relaxing and like self-care but isn't kind of mind numbing if you know what I mean so like, you started like, knitting didn't you <laughs> no didn't start knitting but even things like going for a bath no I, I don't knit I I really like see when I am at my happiest though I like doing crafty things like being creative ah, okay. like making things um that is what when I'm at my most happy in life I'll always make time to do that um like it really it's I love doing things that that totally absorb you and you don't have time to think about anything else because you're so absorbed in that activity which flow state flow state you know flow state babe flow state <laughs> yeah so I think it's it's important to do stuff like that because also there's nothing good on telly right now there's always something to watch but there's nothing actually good to watch true do you think that you are a lark a third bird or an owl a lark a morning person yeah yeah definitely. so this was I listened to this book recently and it was talking about whether you're a lark a th- I've never heard of a third bird but I guess it's basically it's, what, it's actually what most people are so there's like two extremes most people think you're either like an owl what is it a something owl or is it just an owl a night owl a night owl yeah that's what it is you, most people think you're either like a lark like a morning person or a night owl but actually most people are in the middle ground which they call third bird for some reason oh it's the third bird <laughs> wow well done me well we go. oh wow okay clever name I see where you're going with it anyway the whole well a large part of the book or what I took from it which I kind of knew already is that you'll have certain times of the day where you're so much better at doing certain things. So like you might have your most creative part of the day or the time where you're gonna get the most work done. And a lot of people waste it with mundane stuff because actually when you do things matters and the whole book is about when you do things. So if you had all the same work to do, but you opened junk emails in your kind of prime time for working, like you're wasting that prime time and then you try to do your really creative work like I don't know record a podcast or write something for an article or do your check-ins or something at like your worst time the workload is going to be way worse I guess is the point and they compared it to you having had a certain amount of alcohol it was like having three beers or something like your brain capacity is 20% less at your peak time compared to at your like lower time so if you think about, I mean, we're relatively lucky. You've definitely got more constraints than I do. But in regards to like when I can do certain bits of work, so I can move my day around so that I know that if I need to be on 
for a podcast, it needs to be before 2 p.m. because actually then I tend to have a bit of a lull after that. Right, so let's see if I can do that in the morning as opposed to in the afternoon. That's funny that you do your EIQ at 6 p.m. Yeah, although this is another thing they said. They said that most people do have a peak and then a dip and then another little peak. Right. And it does tend to be morning peak and then there's like a dip and then there's another peak and actually one of the things they were looking at was Twitter mm-hmm. and the positivity that so like n- normally tweets in the morning are more positive and then around the middle of the day they're really negative and then towards the end of the day they're quite positive again or there's like a, a there's a peak again that's so interesting yeah so apparently that's quite normal so maybe I've peaked again for the EIQ live mm. that's my theory anyway and also it, it's more with people's day so yeah it you know I, I like listening to it while making dinner I imagine a lot of people do that yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah um okay. okay right um two question two um how to future proof yourself after cancer great question um I think there's a couple of things to go through one obviously you can't totally future proof yourself two hopefully you're getting regular checkups and I guess that's the main thing for anyone like if you feel something that's weird just get it checked out then it would be the obvious things like smoking cancer highly processed foods limit the amount of alcohol that you're consuming and then the best thing to do is probably what you're already doing because you're on commit to six like looking after your diet looking after exercise looking after exercise doing exercise not having too much body fat and remembering that certain forms of cancer have slightly different um, risk factors. So for example, if it was breast cancer that you'd had before, then making sure you're not carrying too much body fat, because if it was estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, that might be highly related to the amount of fat that you're carrying. And there might be some considerations re the treatments that you've had in regards to what you do exercise wise. But really, like, it comes down to all of the normal health recommendations, like stay active, exercise, everything just becomes even more important than it was previously. And then also being like really fit and healthy so that if you did have to go through treatment again, you're in the best position to do so. Like cancer treatment wrecks your body, right? So if you're a fitter and healthier, you can withstand more of that meaning that maybe you get through the full treatment without having to take as many breaks and then your body deals with it better. Anything to add on? Um, No, not necessarily anything to add, but um, slightly related perhaps. I was uh, reading an article about uh, rugby players and uh, the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's and motor neuron disease. And... uh, Paul plays rugby and he wants Cormac to play rugby. And it's something that's kind of like in the back of my mind, like, oh, because it's not just professional rugby players, it's all people who play rugby um, regularly. And there was this uh, study that came out and it obviously, yes, it does increase the risk, but generally people who play rugby live longer than people who didn't play rugby. And I just thought that was really interesting because like, yeah, we're so focused on this risk and yes, there is an increased risk and it 
I don't know, I think it is quite a small increased risk, but generally by being active and playing a sport and that community aspect of it as well, playing in a team, like that is all making your, your life longer. So yeah, I think that um, if you're on Commit to Six, if you're working as part of ESG, you're putting effort into like your, your lifestyle more holistically. So I think, I think that's great. You're obviously doing all the right things. That's such a good point because we often look at risk of one thing mm-hmm. and then don't look at, so it might be that, yeah, by playing rugby, you're increasing your risk of, what was it? Dementia. Dementia, Alzheimer's and motor neurons. It's, it's the, the impact of head injuries. Yeah, head injuries, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess, but then it's like, are you creating a false dichotomy that like you either play rugby or you don't play any sport? Because realistically, you'd probably get all the benefits of rugby with a sport that didn't have head-on collisions. But then, like, if that is the one sport that a man, like, we're just, these are these are all studies on men. Um, if that is the one sport that they have tried, or they've got into, and then it's like, oh, well, don't play that. I mean, there's maybe not an alternative for them in the area, or they're maybe not tried in their sport. But yes, yeah, there, there is other ways that you don't, you can still be active and not bang your head a lot yeah it is it's interesting research and obviously I totally agree that if it was for some reason the only sport that you enjoyed doing or something or maybe there's a way they can make it slightly safer yeah but then I think it that risks them um, taking away of the, the actual excitement of watching like, the sport. yeah it's called tag rugby <laughs> <laughs> no I don't want to watch that <laughs> yeah I want to watch them smash each other Oh, do you know what? I've not been to many in real life rugby games, but like actually in real life, hearing people like slap together, it's it's rough, isn't it? It really is. And it kind of, when I go and I go, oh, and then people look at you like, come on, you've clearly not been here. That was nothing. (laughs) I imagine it's the same with boxing, but again, I've never been to like actual see in person you imagine going to like an MMA fight and like sometimes they're covered in blood and oh god yeah because I think I saw it popped up on like I don't know Instagram or something it was this girl talking after her fight and her hot oh it was just it was really intense no no not not for me okay question for you my friend is on Slimming World and is chuffed that she's losing loads of weight quickly. She's hardly eating. She has no breakfast, two tiny cereal bars for lunch. How do I encourage her to but tell her that she needs to eat proper food or it will never last? Oh, well, I mean, that's a, that's a real difficult one because she's experiencing the results that she wants, isn't she? And um, maybe you're... Like it, it's great that you're you're on commit to six. You're you're also ho- hopefully experiencing the results that you want, but you're doing it in a much healthier quote unquote way. Um, I, I think you it's not your place to say. It's definitely not your place to say. You can only model um, behavior by just living your life and and doing it the best way that you can because you've been given the proper resources by us. Um, and just being there for your friend if like it doesn't mean that she necessarily won't be able to keep the weight off like it's a successful program that's why lots of people do it it's really popular um but being there for her when when if the shit hits the fan and you can be like right well come to commit sex yeah 
Yeah, you know there's a better way to do this. It's called commit to six. Here's the link. Um, that, I mean, that's the first option. But equally, like I, I totally agree. I think it's the way you approach it. So you can open the door, like op- ask kind of open-ended questions of, oh, are you finding that's quite hard to eat with your family? Or do you find that's quite restrictive? Or I don't know. And then if she does say, yeah, do you know what? Sometimes I do get really, really hungry you can explain that actually you can still lose body fat without being in that much of a deficit and maybe you've done it or are doing it yourself and this is another way to do it and you don't have to be that restrictive even kind of encouraging to be like what how do you think that you would maintain this or are you still able to eat out like I guess it's coming back to her values and what's important to her as in if she's like yeah actually I've not eaten out with my friends and I've not been going out for drinks and I kind of miss having a social life then you might be like, well, look, you can do it this way. Will it take a little bit more time? Hell yeah, it will. So you have to then accept that, like, I mean, the calorie deficit works, right? If you create a huge deficit, you'll lose weight really quickly, but it comes at also quite a huge cost. And for a lot of people, they, and when I say they can't stick to it, it's like, it's, it's an adherence issue, isn't it? But like, realistically, if you were forced to, you could, it's not a physiological problem. It's more your behaviors around that. And probably more because, actually it means more to you to go and eat out with your mates or to have the flexibility around food than it does to lose weight that quickly but that has to be like an empowered choice that you're making like I want to do it at a sensible rate because I know I'll be able to maintain it and I know I'll be able to have a life while I do it now if I went on this extreme diet it would mean putting my like a whole part of my life on hold might also mean that it affects my relationships. It might also mean that it affects my concentration. It'll affect my performance in the gym. I might not sleep as well, like all these things. But sure, you'll lose weight quicker if you stay sticking to it, but you might be massively unenjoyable doing that or might be massively unenjoyable process doing it. So it, I guess it comes down to the individual. What And then now that they have the information, that's an empowered choice that they can make. Yeah, they're never going to make the change if it doesn't feel like empowered. It doesn't feel like it's come from them and they feel like patronized or like you're being like, you've made a huge mistake. Like no one wants to feel that way. So, yeah. yeah. And I guess it's hard when someone comes to you and is like, I'm so excited. I've lost all of this weight. And then you're like, but it's not sustainable and blah, 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 blah. Like that's not the right approach to take but you might ask in kind of the way I just spoken about like oh how are you finding your performance in the gym or your energy levels or your mood or and if they're really happy with it fine but then they're much more likely to come to you if they're like oh you know a couple of weeks ago when you asked me about my energy levels well now I'm really struggling what were you going to tell me and then you can say as opposed to being like the know it all and being like wow there's a much better way to do this not that this individual be like this because that's probably why they asked the question but there's definitely a way that you can kind of like leave the door open and people are much more likely to then feel like they can come to you. Some people may enjoy doing it that way as well. Like I remember we had a discussion a long time ago um, and I, I think me and Catherine said if we were dieting, we'd prefer to do it slower in a smaller deficit so that we could still do like enjoy life. And I think you and Andy said that you would rather do like low calories, low calories, like for a shorter amount of time, because then you're, then it's over and done with quicker. So, I mean, there's that, there's that, it's, it maybe suits different people. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, it's an empowered choice, but you have to know the cost of what that's going to be. 
right and if you're willing to be like yeah I'm going to be pretty strict with myself for six weeks or you can be pretty chill but still lose weight for 12 weeks like that's your choice and for the vast majority of people the 12 week one works better right the longer period of time works better and also for your your relationship with food long term as well like the 12 week um being able to enjoy food and enjoy going out for your uh, for meals and drinks and stuff and also still achieve your goals is going to set you up for long-term success whereas like you're not learning anything just by saying no to everything for six weeks then how how do you say yes to things and then still achieve your goals at week seven yeah yeah I guess that's the point is that it, you'll always have to learn moderation even if you do a quick fix you then need to know how to maintain it so either you spend the 12 weeks kind of learning how to maintain it and yeah at the end of it we bring you up to maintenance and it's not probably all that different than what you were doing during the 12 weeks but you're eating a bit more or you do something very restrictive and then you still have to learn maintenance which is going to be a much harder process and as much as people really still don't care about what happens at the end they're like yeah but I just want to get there like get me there quicker but maintenance is the most important part and I know that like you can like I say that till I'm blue in the face but people still don't think of maintenance as like a useful part of a diet and it's like well then you'll just have to do it again you'll have to do the whole process again and again and again for the rest of your life unless you learn balance at some point like it will always come back to that no matter what approach you take at some point you'll have to accept I need to learn moderation Mm -hmm. right all right go ahead okay this is from a one-to-one I've been listening to the expectation effect and I'm finding it so fascinating trying to change my mindset around healthy food a bit as a result in the book it talks about how so often we associate healthier foods, vegetables, salmon, etc., with being hungry and not satisfied after meals and how adding spice or umami flavors like Parmesan and sacrificing a small amount of calories to give a more satisfying taste help us view our meal as more indulgent and that can help with satiety. I don't think my mindset around healthy eating is bad at all. But I now feel much fuller when I bulk out my plate with veg and generally enjoy my meals, but I've been trying it out for a couple of meals for example yesterday I had a meal um, I have pretty often chicken carrots broccoli peas sweet corn potatoes the only difference is this time I added gravy 40 calories worth it really did feel like I was having a much more satisfying comforting meal with almost no sacrifice calorie wise not sure if it was because I was expecting it to be or just because that's what gravy does (laughs) gravy is magic (laughs) magic gravy yeah, I thought that was really interesting how they like take just... um, everyone cover everything in gravy. Yes, and yeah. you will be able like just a big massive plate of vegetables covered in gravy, full for the full day. Yeah, forget intuitive eating <laughs> gravy. <laughs> gravy. Um, I think that's a great point, and that book is so good, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that people are listening to it because. I tried to pick out parts, but it's even better in the book and it gives so much more examples and just really shows that the way that we think about foods, especially the way we think about dieting and diet foods, or even, and in this case, this is what she's suggest- like talking about, is healthy foods. Like we see healthy foods as 
foods that aren't going to satisfy us Mm -hmm. which means that then we end up not really being that satisfied by them so yeah if you can add some spice I mean spice is great because it tends not to be really any calories or it's like five calories I always put Cajun spice on stuff actually I don't anymore I did that for a long time then I sickened myself of it um literally do that with everything uh but I'm sure that was like I don't know five calories for putting some spice on it and then it does make it taste like Cajun shockingly like what would be your indulgence like that like what would so hers was gravy like what would be yours probably ketchup oh yeah I love ketchup yeah And then what you sometimes find is like, I used to think I was really craving chips, but I was actually craving the ketchup that I would normally put in the chips. I don't know if everyone would definitely agree with that. <laughs> no, but you, yeah, what I mean is like, you could have it with like potato instead or something. Like it wouldn't yeah, have to be like the green still, chips. Yeah. yeah. Salt and pepper. Yeah, you're still getting that, that salty potato hit. Um, yeah, for me, it's truffle oil. Oh, wait, Nigella. Jeez. It's Sorry, so- just what everyone will have in there. Just go into your pantry, collect the truffle oil. I got it's like this little bowl, got it from Marks and Spencer's. What was it? 50 um, quid? No, I because it's like that size, it's so tiny. But you're not using it, you're just I like sprinkle just a little bit of and I just love that flavor so much. Mm, so good. That's interesting. I, Amelia really likes truffle, truffle oil or whatever. Like, cause you get like truffle fries and all this stuff. So she'll always get it when we go out. And I think it smells really bad. Right. Okay. So one time I went out for dinner with my aunt, right. And I got truffle pasta. And mm. so it got laid down in front of us and she was like, I can smell a gas leak. I can, I can definitely smell a gas leak, right? She told the waiter, the waiter then was like running around trying to smell like a gas leak. And I was like, I think it's actually my pasta. <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, it does. It smells like it's a little bit, there's something weird about it. And then, cause whenever we go out for dinner, like I, I can never pick anything on the menu and I'm so glad that Amelia is the same. So we always have half, of each so whatever she's having I'm actually having and then when we have to have truffle I'm like do you like truffle no it, I just think it smells funny yeah I get that but there's just something quite indulgent about it it's definitely indulgent what is it what is that well, it's, um, you know it's a mushroom and the all oh, right eggs um, collect it like they snuffle out the truffles oh the pigs get it <laughs> oh that's cute and also you get a truffle that's a chocolate right yeah that's a different type of truffle yeah (laughs) okay right well there you go um okay question how would you define workout intensity is it how much you sweat or is it how much you ache after oh i think there's um lots of ways to uh to measure measure intensity I mean like if you're doing a commit to six workout I would first of all make sure that you are using as heavy a weight as you can for the the reps that have been set out for you I would also make sure that you are taking the the rest time 
and not longer than is set out for you. So if you're you're doing like four sets of 10 of an exercise, but you're sort of like sat down looking at your phone and you're like, oh, it's been five minutes and you do another set, then you're not, in it's not intense enough. So I think like making sure that you're not taking too much rest, you're lifting as heavy as you can. You are like, you. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like, sweating because it, you might not sweat every time but if you're like your heart's beating and you're you're breathing faster than you were than if you were like just sitting down I think that that's fine and you can build upon that I, I think if you're relatively new to exercise it's quite hard to get intensity straight away and that comes with experience it comes with when you learn the movements because you might actually be like I'm not too sure if I'm doing this exercise correctly and, and it's hard to be intense that way. But um, in time, as you get fitter as well, as you get more confident, you can increase that intensity. Yeah, as you were speaking that, I was just thinking, I guess we're probably so used to the feeling of pushing your body to the extent that you think you might not be able to do the next rep. But imagine mm -hmm. like taking yourself back to when you've never done that, and then as an adult who's maybe not been in the gym before or like maybe for 10 years, the feeling of pushing your body that hard must be so like I, we literally do that probably most days. Right. Yeah. And yet. I, yeah, it must just be such a uh, an, it, like a different feeling and probably quite an uncomfortable feeling. And so exactly what you said, like you might not feel like you can totally push yourself until you've done it a few times and been like, oh, I'm actually safe. Like when I feel like my heart's about to explode that's actually okay uh I can do this and that's what exercise feels like but if you haven't done that then that's probably quite a new and a little bit scary feeling that you're a bit unsure of um yeah. in regards yeah. to yeah in regards to the question intensity generally like if you want to make it easy even think back like when we were personal trainers learning at personal trainer school like we would do this RPE scale which is like one to ten how hard are you working and that might be something good to think about as well. Like really intensity to me means how hard are you pushing yourself in this workout? So if you're doing three sets of 10, it's pretty easy. That's the intensity of that for you is pretty low, but it's relative, right? So 10 push-ups for some person might be max intensity. For someone else, it might be pretty easy and they could do 20 reps in a row. So it's really about how hard you're pushing yourself. It's certainly not about whether you sweat or not. And it's certainly not about whether you're aching after your workout. That's a really poor sign of whether you've had a good workout or not. Yep. All right. Next question. Um, a PT I follow on Instagram regularly talks about the negative ramifications. What a great word. Ramification of complimenting a person's weight loss. She says that you don't know why the person has lost weight. They could be ill, they could have an eating disorder and compliments could exacerbate or offend. I'd love to know your thoughts on this. I can completely see where she is coming from, but I do also enjoy it when people comment on my weight loss. I think things like this are almost like assuming that we don't know how to act as normal humans. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> Like I don't walk around like commenting on bodies all the time, but it's like context specific. So if you've got a friend who you know has signed up for commit to six and wants to lose weight, you're going to say, 
oh that looks like that's really you look like you've been working really hard and you look like you've lost a bit of weight well done like and it's the same with them um, I went through a spell where um I was really conscious of like commenting in commit six check-ins if someone had like said their weight was down like I was like oh my god like it was a bit of a minefield and then remembered they are here for that sole purpose so of course I'm going to be like you're achieving the goal that you set out but then equally like if you don't know the person and then suddenly they start to lose weight you're not going to be like oh great well done you're losing weight because you again you don't necessarily know what what's Mm. going on there see I think it's just like common sense and being like a a empathetic human that is also like aware of of what's going on do you know what I mean I totally agree although I do think that not that many people have common sense and I do it's probably like within the echo chamber of the fitness industry and personal trainers I would really hope that there would be an awareness to be like I'm not going to comment on someone's weight either going up the way or down the way unless I know that that's their specific goal like if they're like oh I've started going to the gym loads and I'm trying to eat healthy like yeah actually I was thinking you'd lost weight great but if they haven't said that and they've lost weight for some reason like yeah you just probably wouldn't mention it unless they had mentioned something related to that but I think it's as simple as that like you don't I don't think it's bad to comment on people's weight especially when you know that's a goal of theirs yeah but yeah, I think that there is also something to be said that we don't need to always comment on people's bodies all the time. Like that's a bit of a weird thing to to do. And that it's probably quite good to to learn how to compliment someone without complimenting their appearance. Like saying how you, you like how they make you feel or you like their energy or their confidence or the enthusiasm or something like that like I think that's a good skill to have as well and and something that I think a lot of people including myself had to learn because you were kind of um, brought up in this appearance obsessed society and it's much easier probably partly because that's where we've been brought up but a compliment about like who you are or how you show up or like or what the examples you just gave means so much more than oh I really like your new hair like which is just like kind of fickle but it's easy to it's easy to give that compliment and it's relatively easy to receive it yeah. whereas although they mean so much more like the yeah the more insightful compliments you probably have to think a bit about it which again makes it more real and genuine mm-hmm. yeah I think we should get better at that for sure Dan talks about that a lot about mm-hmm. how he doesn't um he always pulls up his mum on commenting on his daughter's looks and how she's always saying like what a beautiful girl she is and she's like yeah he's always trying to be like but what about how smart and funny and caring and blah 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 mm-hmm. that's what we should be focusing on for young yeah. girls and also every age <laughs> okay um- Although, I mean, like, if anyone wants to compliment me on anything, you're more yeah, than welcome. Well. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it all. <laughs> okay, um, question for the podcast. I am focusing on maintenance and strength goals for a bit. On paper, it's going pretty well, but maintenance feels like slacking after putting in the effort in the fat loss phase. I find myself worrying that I will put it all back on. Can you please share some tips? on getting into a good maintenance mindset thanks journal journal do you know i've stopped stopped calling it journaling and started calling it writing a diary (laughs) 
I mean, it similar. Just, it just felt like when I was little, when I was a teenager, I would write in a diary. And like what I'm doing now isn't a million miles away from that. And it just feels like, I think for, for clients as well, calling it journaling almost adds a bit of a, about a, like a barrier. When if you just say, just write um, a diary. See, I think it could go either way. Because if someone asked me to write a diary, I might be like, I'm not a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> you know, and I might think, mm, or or I might be like, I don't really want to write a diary. Whereas journaling might be a newish concept to me. Mm-hmm. And I might be like, oh, it does sound a little bit more sophisticated. And maybe I'd get something from it because it's more related to therapy and mindset and stuff. I guess it's just the connotations that the individual has, but I agree that they're not a million miles apart. It's essentially a self check-in. Mm-hmm. So you're not making the same mistakes again and again. And I think like this question is almost part journaling. Like you've said on paper, I'm doing pretty well, but it feels like I'm slacking, right? So if you're writing this in your journey, you'd be like, why does it feel like it? I'm slacking? What is the proof that I am slacking? And you'd be like, none, I'm eating more calories because I don't want to lose fat anymore. And I'm working really hard at the gym and I'm making sure that I get in enough protein, my nutrition's on point, still getting my steps in and I'm I'm focusing on my sleep because I know I want to build muscle. And then you've kind of written all this down. You're like, no, I am all doing all the right things. I'm ticking all the boxes. I can let that thought pass. And I guess this is the thing that a lot of people get stuck with is that they maybe give too much credit to their thoughts as if they're always inherently true. Like this is a, a good example I'm worrying that I'll put all the weight back on like well you won't if you're at maintenance because you'll be maintaining so you write that down okay that's that thought put to the side it doesn't mean that that thought will never creep up again it just means that there's no truth behind it and often we think we're doing things wrong because we still have these thoughts and that's not the case it's just that actually sometimes we have these thoughts pop up and they don't have any merit to them so you write about them and then you move on yeah, I think it's like if this is maybe your first time in maintenance, like you've maybe come from a place where it's like fat loss or nothing or dieting or nothing. And now you're like, wow, like I'm in this place where I'm really happy with my body, which is also maybe a new concept. And I want to build muscle and I'm, I'm maybe considering like wanting to gain a little bit. Um, and now I've got what seems like a bit more flexibility um, but but that flexibility can maybe a bit be a bit scary in itself. But then you could argue that maintenance is 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 that for some people a lot harder than than fat loss because of that. I would say for most people, I think it's because often it feels almost directionless. That's why people jump between like cutting and bulking, right? Because there's a focus to it, and you're going in a certain direction. Whereas maintenance is that bit harder and to that you have to trust the process a little bit more because the outcome is going to be depending on what outcome you're looking for but if it's say building muscle even slower I saw a little clip of Simon Sinek talking about I guess it was about the gym but it was more about like patience or trusting the process and he was saying that you know if you go into the gym once and then you come home and look in the mirror you look exactly the same you go the next day you come back you look exactly the same does that mean it's not working no it means that you have to trust that if you're putting in this work at some point you will start to see changes or feel changes but no one can really say on what day that is going to be 
And it's certainly not, you're never actually going to look that much different than you did yesterday. So it's always like a long-term thing. Like, yeah, you might look different in six weeks time, but you're never going to look different than you did yesterday. So you just have to trust the process, I guess. That phrase. Yeah, or which is also a phrase I absolutely hate when I hear people say it, because often I think it's used as an excuse not to explain things. It's quite lazy, isn't it? Yeah, like if someone, because what I'm saying is like, trust the process. There's also like years of research on hypertrophy, knowing that if you tick these boxes, you will build muscle. But I do sometimes see people who, I don't know, get a question about calories or something like, yeah, just, just trust the process instead of explaining how energy balance works in that example mm-hmm. yeah okay Paulina um if I'm not as active as usual due to illness no workouts and not getting step targets should I lower my calories it worries me that I'll gain as I'm not as active um I personally wouldn't I would I would just stick to the ones that you're on um because chances are you're probably still in a deficit like it maybe is a smaller deficit because of your less activity that you're doing but you're also recovering from an illness and to recover you do need to eat you need to feel yourself and if you're ill adding on like or taking away even more food I think would just make you more miserable yeah and being in a very large deficit doesn't help your immune system either not that you would be now in a very large deficit, but it's just adding more stress. And actually the best thing you can do is get better as quickly as possible, which is going to mean fueling your body and then get on with fat loss once you feel better. Yeah. Um, the only consideration I would make is if you're, I don't know, say you have a d- reduced appetite because you're unwell, I wouldn't like force yourself to eat the full calories but also don't be stupid with that of like I've had 200 calories today and I'm just not hungry no like eat enough but if say your target is 1800 and you get to 1600 and you really feel quite nauseous and don't feel well I wouldn't force yourself to eat the extra 200 calories but yeah just be sensible with it it's not unless it was like a very long-term illness we probably wouldn't change your calories if it was I don't know I've broken my leg and I'm not going to be able to walk for eight weeks or something maybe we would adjust to your energy expenditure although if you've got crutches then it's I don't know maybe even higher energy expenditure but yeah if it was long term we might adapt something but not just for a short-term illness Mm. um oh I've got a podcast question for you all right um okay Fiora I've been wondering how stress can impact your workouts your ability to perform is there anything you can do during your workouts to reduce stress? Punch bag. Yeah, yes, punch bag. <laughs> I think it depends what the stress is and it's probably best, you know, because exercise itself can reduce stress. But if you're, I don't know, anxious about something and your mind is wandering during the workout, then maybe even just sitting for 10 minutes before the workout or five minutes, writing down what it is you're stressed about what you can do about it right now, which is probably nothing, but what you can do about it tomorrow or going forward or what you're going to do about it. And then you can kind of put that to the back of your head because it's written down, it's done, you've got it figured out in your head. 
but for this next 40 minutes that you're going to exercise do you need to work on whatever stressing you no it's going to be much better just to focus on what you're doing and that will allow the exercise to be de-stressing like as much as people say exercise reduces your stress it doesn't really if you're thinking about whatever's stressing you out throughout the whole workout so it does need to be that kind of like okay I'm gonna write this down put it in my bag whatever and go into the gym and do my thing Mm. um I've been reading this is kind of a bit of a tangent I've been reading about uh gentle parenting Uh so I I was listening to women's hour and they had um so gentle parenting is this like kind of topic that is is going viral on TikTok and there's loads of gentle parenting accounts um and it seems to be mostly millennial parents and it's kind of like an almost trauma informed response to like so their experience of being parented by like their parents and then they're now doing this style of parenting as a response um so it's going viral on tech on tiktok and then it was on women's hour and because the listenership of women's hour tends to be boomers this poor woman was like ripped apart because they're like gentle parenting not saying no to your child (laughs) like what's this world come to But essentially, so I was doing a bit of reading about it because I've not really thought so much about a parenting style. Um, But obviously, like, I've I've had my own therapy journey and, uh, like, I want to raise, like, a a well-rounded person. So um, where am I going with this? Basically, the idea behind gentle parenting is that you're helping raise someone who deals with their own emotions well. So that they can actually identify how they're feeling and know how to like communicate that to someone else and then actually deal with it. And I find that really interesting because we work with so many people who maybe similar age to us weren't raised to learn how to deal with their emotions. We're told that their big emotions like anger and sadness and grief and all these other things where you know, stop it, pull yourself together and, and not actually taught how to to actually deal with them so yeah I find that that quite interesting that there's all these people that emotionally eat or stress exercise or do all these things to to deal with them because they haven't actually learned how to and that's why we're all journaling we're all doing yoga we're all doing mindfulness now as adults Mm. it's nice that that's kind of coming round and I guess it links to emotional granularity and being able to actually say instead of just I'm sad well it's not normally that I'm sad it's normally like you know I I feel I don't know lonely or being able to actually describe the feeling that you're feeling makes it then much easier to find a solution to that or find a coping strategy for that or even just like accept the feeling and then move on but being able to label it and name it and understand yourself how you're feeling Mm -hmm. makes it much easier to process so pretty amazing if you're teaching your kids to do that because in some ways I imagine maybe it's like learning a language and they always say that's actually easier as a child because you kind of pick up on these things it's probably easier when you're younger to learn these skills than it is actually when you're older and all you've been saying all your life is I'm happy or I'm sad and there's not really any in between yeah or being made to feel shameful for feeling big emotions yeah like like being ashamed of being sad or angry like those are bad emotions you're bad for feeling that way and when those are like normal emotions on the spectrum of being a human 
so yeah like I guess I think- the gender stereotypes of that as well like mm-hmm. like one men not being able to feel some emotions or like you know being told they shouldn't feel some emotions and then also like little girls being angry is not very oh, they're like no girls don't get angry like no we don't do that like you're not so that yeah, you're so interesting. because um I I finished my journal my uh, commit sex journal and so like I was looking for another one and I found <laughs> Paul had bought one like a man's journal Aww. and he'd never read it right <laughs> but it's so like it's really it's a bit of a stereotype it's like so written for men so like the first bit is like all about how to how to find your emotions <laughs> it's really funny um, yeah, like, it's quite nice but yeah like I'm gonna do a new um commit to six one with some extra bits in it version two Ooh, hopefully by the next launch that's exciting yeah yeah I'm very excited for it that was that we didn't really answer did we answer that question oh yeah the stress workouts there's a second part to this question um with lack of sleep in mind I was wondering how you would try and train when you're really tired I've just been powering through, but I read lots of stuff about how you shouldn't train if you're tired because your form will be off and you might hurt yourself. If I were to stick to that, I wouldn't have worked out at all this week and I really needed that time in the gym for me, selfish as that sounds. But is there something you should do, not do if you're struggling with sleep? Hmm, interesting. Like, I think there's definitely logic there. Like, if you're your brain's not functioning to its fullest capacity and you're doing technical movements um then yeah there's there's that but I I mean I don't think it would have a massive impact yeah I mean I would agree but then actually there's that research that shows that having less than I can't remember now if it's four hours sleep a night or something is the equivalent to driving drunk yeah which is terrifying right and you wouldn't be like oh you're drunk just go to the gym anyway you know so if that is the same re your driving skills and your reaction time then actually might be the same in the gym as well so and I, and I agree with Shona like probably the only thing especially in a situation where it sounds like it's hard for you to get sleep for a full week or it's like a more chronic thing maybe moving more to work towards like safer exercises so maybe not doing I don't imagine you're doing this but snatch and box jumps and things like that but you might swap those out for maybe more machine-based stuff where it's much harder to get injured yeah yeah all right great excellent questions today that was fun thank you so much for having me on thank you so much for being here and anyone who's watching on mighty networks you'll be able to see shona's incredible headboard is it live oh no okay it's not live but it will be Okay, yeah, look at my lovely uh, headboard. I'm really happy with it. If, if you're listening on the podcast, it's Rattan headboard and it's from La Redoute. La Redoute. The, oh, La Redoute. Uh, That's La why Redoute. I didn't understand it when you first said it. La Redoute. <laughs> uh, anyway, have a lovely day, everyone. Bye. Thank you, as ever, for your time and attention. If you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at ESG Fitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys.